Welcome to the Anchor Podcast, a ministry of Rock Harbor Church. We want to help you grow in your walk with the Lord by an in-depth study of the Word of God. So grab your Bible and let's set a course for spiritual maturity. Here's Pastor Brandon with today's message. I'm watching what's happening here in our world, and I'm like, there's too many clowns. Where did all these clowns come from? It's just one after the other, one after the other, believing lies and and trying to corner us in in this, this new environment we're in. This new environment we're in is causing a lot of people to voice their opinion to me and saying, I, I, I feel hemmed in. I feel trapped. I feel we have no escape. I feel everything's shut down. I can't do anything. I feel depressed. I feel hopeless. Um, and people are having this general feeling about that. And I thought, man, we're right where we need to be in Scripture. That's for sure. Because I, I, I don't know what's coming. I just know that God will somehow make a way for us. I don't know how he's going to do it, but he's preparing us. And if we're faithful to him and obedient and we just follow what he wants us to do, he's going to create a path for us. And just like you're going to see today with Israel, he creates a path for them in the sea. And they're going to go through it. So we're going to study the, the parting of the Red Sea in depth today. And we're going to go to the bottom of the ocean, look at the ocean, and look at the, the, the aspects of the miracle. But here's what I want you to see. It's not enough for you just to know about the parting of the Red Sea. You have to understand the spiritual lessons all tied into them. And there's dozens and dozens of lessons because it's one of the high points of the Old Testament. And so I want to take that, and what you'll see is it applies today. Okay? We don't have Pharaoh chasing us down. We have this world chasing us down. The, the satanically inspired people, they have already said that you and I are the target. The 80 million people who voted for Trump are their target. And then along with the conservatives and evangelicals, they're trying to silence us and, and get rid of us and, our, and remove our voices. Uh, I was talking to Jan Markell through via email this week, and she was telling me, Brandon, they shut down our, our YouTube radio program. And so, again, it just continues to confirm they're just on a silencing campaign. It's revenge time. And again, that's the world we live in, but... We have a God that's bigger than them. We have a God that's more powerful than them that can create a seat, that can actually part a sea and create a path in the middle of it. And he'll do the same for us. There's no doubt about that. But So let's, let's go in here and unpack this and realize uh, he'll do the same for us. So we're going to start in Exodus 14, and it's called the Lord's Guidance on, and Protection on the Path, because if he guides, he protects. And we'll start in verse 19. And it says this, And the angel of God, who went before the camp of Israel, moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud went from before them and stood behind them. So just to catch the scene here, they're on the Weva beach. The the Shekinah cloud or the glory cloud that they're following is in front of them that's going to lead them into the Red Sea. But since Pharaoh has come, the Shekinah moves and goes to the rear of the camp to protect Israel from Pharaoh. And so uh, it's going to, the Shekinah is going to give Israel more time to prepare and keep them at bay. Now, what you have to understand is the Shekinah is Jesus. This this is the second person of the Trinity. It's called the, he's called the angel of God or the messenger of God. Anytime in the Old Testament, you see the angel of God, angel of the Lord, 
captain of the Lord's army, that's Jesus. It's a pre-incarnate manifestation of Jesus um, as the messenger of God. And in this case, Jesus is manifesting himself in the Shekinah. Okay, so this is Jesus. So Jesus then positions himself between Egypt and the Israelis. Okay, so it's a, it's a protection thing. Now, what this is going to allow Israel to do is to prepare. Because the Red Sea hasn't parted. But what Israel has been told to is go forward, but get ready, get ready, prepare. And so, as you can see, uh, if we go to verse 20, it says this, So it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel. Thus it was a cloud and darkness to the one, and it gave light by, an, uh, gave light by night to the other, so that one did not come near the other all night. So imagine the scene that it's at night and Israel is told to prepare, get ready, get your stuff together, get your camp uh, packed up, and we're going to move now. And so they're doing this and the Shekinah is blocking Israel, but it's giving Israel light on their side, but then giving darkness on the Egyptian side. So Pharaoh is, is hung up in the mountains there and he can't see. He's in spiritual darkness, so he can't move, he can't advance, but at the same time, the light is allowing Israel to prepare. Now, what's the spiritual lessons in this? A couple things. When you see light in Scripture, it's typically contrasted with darkness, and that's a theme that goes all through Scripture. Light represents revelation, the revelation of God. God gives light. Okay, Jesus is the light. He's the revelation of God. Darkness is the non-revelatory uh, information that doesn't come from God, but it comes from fallen angels, Satan, demons, or even man. It is darkness because it's, it's, it's not revelation coming from God. So there's where the contrast comes. The, the, the picture that Moses is trying to paint for us is that the Egyptians are in darkness and the Israelis are in the light because of Yahweh and getting the revelation. The same is true today. I know that many people are perplexed by watching these people do things. And you're like, man, this, this defies all common sense. This is crazy economically. This is crazy what they're doing, shutting down the businesses, making them go out of, out of business. And, and, and you're going to say, I, I don't get it. Good. The reason you don't get it is because they're operating in the area of darkness. They can't see. They're like blind people in a dark cave, and they can't figure out what they're doing. They're just grabbing for anything, and that's who you're dealing with in leadership, not only in America, but around the world. These people are in darkness because they don't follow what God says. And so some of the things they're going to do to you and I is crazy. They're, gonna, they're putting us back into Paris Climate Accords. You know how stupid that is? We're going to give Foreign entities, this is part of imperialism and global government, we're going to give foreign entities tax money to save the planet. And we're talking trillions of dollars from the American taxpayer is going to fund these creation worshipers. All this is, is simply pagan worship of the creation. This idea that we're going to save the planet by cutting carbon emissions is a hoax. It is a joke. 
We, we have a, 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 an emission that's supposed to be helpful for the environment, and they've turned it into a poison. They've, they've, they've lied about it in order to do a global tax on people and for the United States to give trillions of dollars to these people. We're the only ones that contributed the most money to this thing. And that's why Trump pulled us out. He says, this is ridiculous. And so now they you know, call us and anyone that doesn't want to support this a science denier. That you, you and I don't care about the environment. No, I don't care about lies. That's a lie. And it's just there to drain our money. But again, you look at that and you're like, that's crazy. Well, yes, it is because they worship the creation. When you see some of these top-level environmentalists that are putting pressure on our government, they're nothing but creation worshipers. Al Gore, he's a New Age uh, pantheist or pantheist. They're nothing but creation worshipers. I want you to, on your own time, I want you to go into the Bible, and I want you to go to Genesis 8.22, and you can look at this up yourselves. In Genesis 8.22, God makes a statement to Noah after the flood saying this, and I'm paraphrasing, the way the world and the environment's going to go is going to go until I end this. So seed time, harvest, seasons, hot, cold, will continue on until I am done, basically. And so what God was saying is no one, not even humans, is going to affect the weather patterns, heat, cold, seasons. No one will be able to do it because God is the sustainer and creator. But yet we got arrogant human beings who are practicing Babylonian religion that think that they can control the environment. They're dead wrong, but that's because they're in darkness. And so we see this all around us, and it's happening, but there's a spiritual lesson. Let's continue on. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. And so the idea of, uh, of Moses doing this is to give a visible motion that this is coming from God, not from Moses, but it's, it's the power of God at work. And it says, And the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night, and made the sea into dry land, and the waters were divided. Let's explain the miracle. This is a grade A miracle. And when you study the doctrine of miracles in the Bible, you have to understand that there's different types of miracles. There's providential miracles. Those providential miracles are typically what we experience as a common miracle, where things line up and you're like, oh, this is not coincidence, you know, kind of things line up. That's called providential miracles. But then when you have a miracle like this, it's a grade A miracle, which means that God has actually intervened into the space-time continuum, and he is actually causing the physical laws of nature to cease, to not work as they should. Now, he's the one who created the physical laws, but he has the ability to stop them. And in this case, what you'll see is a combination of God intervening supernaturally, ceasing uh, you know, the physical laws of the universe, but also using naturalistic things to uh, do certain things. And usually in those miracles, it's a combination of the two. Um, when you study miracles, and maybe this is more than what you probably want to know about miracles, is that when God does a grade A miracle, he will do a, that type of miracle with the least amount of disruption into the space-time continuum. So what I mean by that is if, if he did more he would disrupt the fabric of time. He, could, he would disrupt certain things. Yes, he could put it back together, but it would disrupt our lives. It, we couldn't live in an environment like that. So what we understand from miracles is God will only do 
a, uh, the level in which it doesn't mess up life as we know it, the physical laws of nature. Can he arrest it? Yes. Can he put it back together? Yes. So you'll see a conservation in the supernatural of it, and that conservation will be seen in how he controls the natural involved in it. Because why? What does it say? He struck up an east wind that comes from the east to dry out the ground. So God moved the water by his power, but then he used a natural force, wind from the east, to make the area dry. Now, the, the wind from the east would be extremely hot. You're talking about the Saudi Arabian Peninsula, and any wind that comes eastward from that in that area is, is blistering hot. You know, they, I mean, it gets up to 140, mile, uh, 140 uh, degrees there. It's hot. So he uses that to dry out the bottom as he parts the water. So that's the combination of supernatural and the natural. Okay, with that being stated, there's some principles in there that, that I want to pick up on about this, this miracle that he does. When you see this and the wind comes from the east, it is telling a message to Israel and to you and I. Deliverance comes from the east. What do you mean? Anytime in Scripture you'll see that God will approach from the east. When the temple is built, finally, do you know what the, how the entrance faces? East. And then the Shekinah glory comes from the east and inhabits the temple. And then when the Shekinah glory left, it departed from the east and went out that way. One more thing about the east. Deliverance comes from the east. When Jesus comes back, what direction does he come from to go back to Jerusalem? East. The picture in Scripture is deliverance from God always comes from the east. And, and so it's a picture of, of, of deliverance there, but it's a picture of the Messiah who eventually sets Israel free from the Antichrist when Messiah comes from the east. Yeah, yeah, he comes from heaven, but then the direction he comes from is from the east. So that's why you'll hear people in Christianity say, look to the east, look to the east, look to the east, because that's the direction of deliverance. Well, no, so God brings us wind from the east and parts the sea. Okay, so let's return to the text. Verse 22 says this, So the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, and the waters were a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Now, you see that phrase as a wall. That means in Hebrew, choma, choma. And it, it does literally mean a wall. So what happened was that God supernaturally caused the water to split, but then go into a wall. Now, here's the thing. Most of the time you watch uh, programs on the Red Sea and stuff, they'll have it split and then they'll have it level and stuff. And that's not, that's not what's happening. It's a wall. But because we know the area where they crossed, we know how high the walls were. Because the area in which they crossed is a land bridge between Egypt and Saudi Arabia. And the bottom of that land bridge is 2,500 feet below sea level. Okay, and so this is where they crossed right here. And you can see Nueva Beach right there where they were gathered. And then they crossed straight over into Saudi Arabia. Notice the water here 
Go back to that blood picture. Notice the depths of the water on the picture. You see the dark blue? That means deep, deep, deep water. And, and it's real light where they crossed. So therefore, when you look at it from a satellite view, you can see the, the, the two arrows. Solomon built pillars, and I think I showed you that, on each side uh, to commemorate the crossing. Well, this, this land bridge, again, 2,500 feet. Imagine the walls being 2,500 feet high and Israel having to go through this. And you can see here uh, on the depth of the land bridge and whatnot, and you see how the land bridge is real uh, shallow, but look how deep it is on either side of the land bridge. Let me show you another picture real quick. Here's a better 3D. Tell me if just looking at this, where else could they have crossed other than this land bridge? Because if you go to the right or you go to the left, Look how, how cavernous it is. Look how steep the grade is. You couldn't have crossed over, but you can only cross in this part right here. The air, let me, let me show you how, how the grade is. This is about 10 miles. The grade is only about 5%. So coming down, it's a 5% grade. It's like a parking lot grade, right? Comes down 5% and then it levels off and then it goes up shallow, uh, in a shallow way, 5%. Any other path you take, look on the map, there's no way you could cross. And so this, this gentle grade is put there thousands of years before the crossing. What is that a picture of? It's a picture of when God opens the door for you to go through, that path that he's made under the water, so to speak, has been prepared years ago, already knowing that you would cross that path. It's funny how... People are finding Rock Harbor based on that same principle. It's the weirdest thing. They run into people. They talk about going to church and where they're going and this and that. And it's run, they're running into people they haven't seen for 20, 30 years. And they talk and then they, they say, hey, we're going to this church. We're going to Rock Harbor. And then they find us. And then they come. And they're a part of our church. I, I can't tell you. Notice how God used the the relationship they had from 20 to 30 years ago to then intersect with them today to find a church for them. See, that's a picture of God preparing the path years in advance. And that's, 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 a, that's a miracle in and of itself. That's called a providential miracle. And so providentially, I want you to think, through creation and through the flood, somehow, uh, supernaturally, God created this land bridge for one day his people would cross on this path. And the same thing is true in your life. All the dots start connecting the older you get. You will start seeing that all these relationships, all these experiences that you had actually come back to you and connect eventually for what God's wanting to do in your life. It's an amazing principle, and I don't want you to miss that. But a couple of things I want you to think about, and this is the big one. If you're the average Israeli and that wall, those walls on each side of you is 2,500 feet, I can already tell you what they feel or what I would feel. I'm scared. Okay, um, I'm looking at a 2,500-foot wall for 10 miles straight through the sea, and God's saying, now go through there. Whoa, whoa. Could the path be less intimidating? Could the path be a little bit easier? 
And God's saying, no, go forward. Okay, so let me tell you what's going on here. For the Israelites to cross into this path, to go when the open door is there, it's going to be fearful. It's going to be a little frightening, very uncomfortable. And that's typically how God will work with you. When he opens a door and he says, now go through. So you've been sitting there preparing, 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 and then the door opens and it says, go through. What you're going to see on the path, first instant, is it's scary. Oh, boy. I don't know if I want to take that path. There's a lot of scary things there. And I, you basically, to use the metaphor, you see the walls. It'll be your decision whether or not you can push past that fear and walk in faith, even though the path scares you. And let me tell you how you push past it. The reason you and I would be afraid or the average Israeli would be afraid of those walls is because if I get in there, will the walls collapse on me? I don't want to be drowned. And so the, the faith has to do with how, will God keep the walls open and I make it all the way to the other side? Well, you know what that's about? That's about you and I in our control of things. Because, well, you know what? I can't control those walls of water. Only God is. But that's making me very unsettled that I can't control my environment. And then when we can't control our environment, we become fearful and we won't act in faith. That's my problem all the time. I see the door many times and I'm like, oh man, we're going to have to go through there. I already see where the enemy, and by the way, the enemy is behind you pursuing you, trying to get revenge. You're not leaving. You're not leaving. Come back to Egypt. And the way you have to, put, way I've had to push through it, and I've had these these come to Jesus meetings with Jesus. So, and, and again, he convicts me. It's nothing audible, but the impression is when I start pitching a fit about the difficulty of the path, and, I, and it scares me. I'm a little hesitant, and then he convicts me and says, not audibly, but impresses me. Do you not think, Brandon, that if I am leading you in this path, that I can protect you? Do you not believe I can protect you all the way through? Do you not believe that I'm not going to lead you this far to have it fall apart on you? Do you really believe that it's all going to come crashing down on you? Because I'll tell you what, what the, the issue is a lot of times. I mean, even right now, and I doubt and this is my own problem. We've been having unbelievable financial gains. Just unbelievable. I've never seen anything like that. Never. Um, almost triple the amount we need every month coming in. You know what I still think sometimes? How long is this going to last? Is this month the month where it all comes crashing down? Is this month the end where there's no money given and we have to go back to plan B? You know what that is? That's my lack of faith. And I have to get a, an attitude adjustment and Jesus has to screw on my head straight and, 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 say, and say to me, do you really think it's all going to come crashing down? Do you really believe that? Because then you doubt me. I'm holding up the waters, Brandon, and you won't, you won't give me that control, will you? You have to have the control, don't you? And that's where I have to repent and say, you're right. I, I'm not in control of it. I just need to walk. And he goes, that's right. What did I tell you to do? Just walk forward. I'll take care of the water on the sides. 
Just walk. And the same is going to be true for you. You're going to see it. It's scary. And there's a lot of weird stuff. People ask me, are you afraid of, you know, uh, being found out by the county, them leveling fines on you, putting you in jail, or whatever? Yeah. Yeah. But what can I do about it? I just got to keep walking. Because if I let that stop me, then I'm not obeying. I'm just not obeying. And so my thing is, he's told me to walk forward, go forward, and I can't stop. And so it's the same thing with you. There, there's going to be all these questions in your head. Well, what about this? What about that? What about this? What if my, my work makes me do this? What if my work makes me do that? Cross that bridge when you get there. But until then, walk forward. I know it's scary, but you got to do it. Let's continue on. Verse 23. And the Egyptians pursued and went after them into the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. Now, you know what this is? This is revenge. This is pure D revenge. Why? Well, Pharaoh's already went through ten plagues. His son died. Did he not get the hint? No, he got the hint. But now he sees, uh, this is my opportunity. I'm going to now get them and and kill all of them and, re- and, and seek my revenge on what's happened to Egypt. Folks, there's nothing different than what's going on right now. There's, there's half of America that's on the revenge platform, that they're seeking revenge to conservatives, to Christian voices, to whatever, Trump support, whatever you want to call them. We're all being labeled into the same group. Okay, this revenge thing is real, and and they they are not afraid to do what they want to do because they know the courts are backing them. I mean, dude, there's so much discrimination going on right now, and you you don't have any legal recourse whatsoever to stop this. They're coming against Christians, you know, anybody, man. And I'm telling you what, they're the same as Pharaoh. They're on a path of revenge. That's the problem here. And so that being the case, fine. Let them be led by their revenge because those who live by the sword will die by the sword. Let them live by that because it's going to come upon them just like it's going to come upon Egypt and it's going to be too late for them. Let's continue on. Verse 24. Now it came to pass in the morning watch that the Lord looked down upon the army of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and cloud, and he troubled the, uh, troubled the army of the Egyptians, and he took off their chariot wheels so that they drove them with difficulty. Now you want to say, well, how did he do this? Well, the, the answer lies in what you find in another text. It's not in this text. It's in Psalm 77. So another miracle happens, a miracle that takes the chariot wheels off of Pharaoh's chariots. So let's read Psalm 77. The waters you saw, or, uh, sorry, the waters saw you, O God. The waters saw you. They were afraid. It's talking about the Red Sea. The depths also trembled. The clouds poured out water. The sky sent out a sound. Your arrows also flashed about. You know what that is? That's a storm. That's thunder and lightning hitting Pharaoh's army. Okay? 
the voice of your thunder was in the whirlwind. So now we either have a hurricane or a tornado that's happening right there in the splitting of the Red Sea on Pharaoh and his armies. The lightnings lit up the world. The earth trembled and shook. What is that? That's an earthquake. So an earthquake happened. Verse 19, your ways was in the sea, your path in the great waters. Yes, he's carved out that path for Israel. And your footsteps were not known. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. So here's what happened. The way God, he's, okay, let's start, let's start, start back again. He allows Pharaoh to come in, take the bait, follow Israel into the Red Sea. So Israel's getting close to the other side. Pharaoh is coming along and they're now in the midst of the sea and the walls are on each side of them. At that same time, God creates a storm at a, at a magnitude it's hard to imagine that creates a whirlwind or a hurricane or, or whatever, a, a tornado. And from that, the flashes of lightning and thunder means that there's a torrential downpour that's happening right there, along with an earthquake. What does that mean for, chariot, for the chariot wheels? It's simple. Israel crosses on dry land. But when it, uh, Pharaoh gets out there, he causes the water from the storm to soak the ground. Now, here's the deal. He can't bring the water back together because Israel's still in the front, uh, the front end and they're still traveling through the sea. So the sea has to remain parted for Israel's sake. So, so what does God do? Hits the back end with a storm to, to slow Pharaoh down and to take off his chariot wheels. Now, this is the interesting part about this. When it says he dislodged the, pharaoh, the, the chariot wheels, he really did because the evidence is still there to this day. When you go to this area, and some guys have, they've snuck in through Saudi Arabia, and uh, some guys were put in jail, but they did go underwater. And guess what you find underwater? These shapes. What does that look like to you? That's an axle with two chariot wheels. You see what's inside of it? So what's this, what, what this is, and they're all along the seabed, along this path. When you see this, it's coral encrusted, right? Just hold on right there. It's coral encrusted. The wood's gone. The chariot, the chariot wood and the axle are gone, but the coral has shaped itself around what used to be there, and it's in the exact shape of the chariots that Egypt had at that time. Now, let's move on. So you find all these shapes at the bottom of the ocean in that area, the Red Sea. Now, in nature, right angles and circles don't really happen like this. Okay? And then in some of the chariots, they were gold-plated. So the wood's gone, but the gold plate remains. And this is what they find. Now, they don't remove them because they're afraid they're going to fall apart. But they're down there in the bottom of that Red Sea. And again, how many spokes is on that? There's four spokes. Go back to the original picture uh, that I showed you. How many spokes are on that Egyptian chariot? Four. And the four-spoke chariot wheels are down in the bottom of that area? Yeah. Guess what else they find in there? Human bones. This is a femur. There's human bones along this path. Have you ever been out in the sea and, and snorkeling or scuba diving and all of a sudden you find a human bone, a femur out there in the middle of the coral? I haven't. 
Nobody really does, except in this area, there's all kinds of bones. You know, here's another thing they find in this area. You see this? This is a hoof. I'll show you another picture. This hoof right there was found in that location, and apparently there's human remains and horse remains, chariot remains. Um, I, I've, I've snorkeled. I've never found a horse hoof out in the middle of the ocean. Have you? I mean, he's just sitting out there. How did a horse get in the middle of the Red Sea? How did a hoof? It's, and then now it's in a museum, in a, a, a creation museum. I can't remember where it's at. Um, but anyway, the point is the archaeologist, the secular archaeologists will not admit this. They won't verify it. Uh, obviously Saudi Arabia won't let you go in on that one side. But folks, when they could go in there, this is what they found all along that path, all along there. Let me ask you this. Does God need to prove that the Red Sea parted? There's plenty of evidence It's for everyone to see. You can go online and find all these pictures yourself. It's all there. This is what they did. This is where they crossed. And the chariot wheels are still in the bottom of that sea. It's unbelievable. Unbelievable. But what's the point here? Well, let's continue on and we'll wrap things up. Look at, look, look what happens here. And the Egyptians said, let us flee from the face of Israel for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Well, now they finally realized it, but they're in the middle of the Red Sea. It's too late. So these pagan Egyptians obviously realize Yahweh is fighting for Israel. Um, we better get out of here. So they have correct theology, but they still don't believe. And unfortunately, it's too late. Because once Israel's out of there, God will collapse the Red Sea on this army and destroy it. Now, let's bridge it to today. What these people are doing to our country and doing to the world and the Bill Gates of the world, the George Soros of the world, they're in pursuit of achieving something, just like Pharaoh was. But when they wake up to what they have done, it will be too late for them. Paul said this, when they cry peace and safety, that they've achieved their nirvana, their utopia, then he says sudden destruction will come upon them and none of them will escape. It's the same principle. It's the same principle. There's a there's an old saying, and I want you to see this principle in, in the saying. And it says this, hell is truth seen too late. Let's let that sink in. Hell is truth seen too late. How many people, I mean, Pharaoh's army is realizing that, that the truth is Yahweh fights for them. Let's get out of here. Too late. You're going to get drowned now. And so we believe in a literal hell, a literal lake of fire, but in our lives... When you realize the truth and it's too late, there's hell to pay. There's hell to pay. You think about any relationship you strike up. Some people get married and then they wake up two or three, four or five years later in that marriage and they're like, uh-oh, um, hell is truth seen too late. And they come to me, what do I do? And I said, well, you don't have any biblical grounds for divorce, so I guess you have to make the best out of the hell that you're in. You're going to have to make this good because there's no way out. It's too late. It's too late. 
And sometimes in my, my premarital counseling to people getting ready to get married, I said, look, man, you guys better be sure. You better have everyone on board. You better have the family on board because I'm telling you what, you marry the wrong person, your family will go through hell. You'll put your family through hell. Do you think they listen to me? No, because they're so in love. They're so in love. He's the greatest pastor. I've never seen a more godly individual. And she's so wonderful. She's on the level of, of Sarah and Abraham, you know. And it's like, oh, man, it's too late by then. They're too emotional. You can't, you can't bring them back. You can't bring them back until the hell hits them, right? But anyway, here's the, here's the point. Rest assured, the world is going to get what they deserve they will recognize the truth and it will be too late for them. They will enter into the tribulation. But until then, let's not worry about them. Let's concern ourselves with what we have to prepare for. We're going to have to be on this path and it's going to be frightful because of what's coming our way, persecution. And we're going to have to walk in faith and put everything on the line. Just like this guy did, Mike Liddell. Have you heard about Mike Liddell? God bless him. Today, if you go out and go, go buy a pillow for him, okay? This is the my pillow guy. He went out there and he said the truth. He had the evidence presented to him about the election fraud. Okay? So Mike Liddell goes out there and says, man, this election was stolen. We need to look at this, the evidence and all this stuff. Of course, you know the rest of the story. No one paid attention to Supreme Court didn't, Congress, anybody. Ah. And so it was brushed under the carpet, the biggest election fraud we've ever had. Okay. So Mike Liddell comes out there, puts it on the line and says, this is wrong. This is a fraud election. I'm going to tell you what's happening to Mike Liddell. The cancel culture is going after him. They're quite trying to destroy this poor guy. He is a Christian man. And man, if you ever hear his testimony, it is amazing. This guy was hooked on either heroin or drugs or some type of uh, something. He was a drug addict for a long time, came to know Jesus, changed his life, started this little business of selling pillows in a mall, and it's grown to selling 150 products of my pillow. The guy goes from rags to riches. It's amazing. It's a, a redemption story that you've never heard before. It's awesome. So now he speaks the truth. And they're, going, they're trying to get rid of him. They're trying to destroy his business. So Kohl's, Bed Bath & Beyond, and other companies are now coming against and saying, we're not going to sell your pillow anymore. We're canceling your orders. We're not, we're, we want you to go out of business, basically. This guy knew what he was doing. Please understand when he took this stand against the election and the fraud that happened, he knew he was putting his reputation on the line. He knew he was putting his businesses on the line and his employees on the line and his money on the line. And he sa said it was more important to get the truth out and risk it all. Wow. That's the kind of heroes we need. Those are the real heroes. He's a Christian man who put it all on the line for the truth. Folks, if Mike Liddell could do it, so can you. You've got to just give it out, walk in faith, and say, no matter what comes my way, I'm going to speak the truth until the day the Lord takes me. Let's pray. Thanks for downloading the Anchor Podcast. We hope this study was a blessing to you. Support for this podcast comes from your generous gifts and donations. For more information about our ministry, we invite you to check out our website, rockharborchurch.net. Also, check out our YouTube channel, Rock Harbor Church Prophecy Update, where we focus on signs of the times and present a wide range of sermons and discipleship lessons. 
So until next time, keep looking up, for our redemption draws near.